postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out, an alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, ah, it's all the secular people's fault, and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic how can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. No, men can image God, women can image God, children can image God. All of us are called to take the gospel to the world. But during that time, the, the belief system that was out there was that women were inferior intellectually, um, physically, ontologically, every way women were inferior to men. So that was, that was what the world thought and Adventists confronted. But, you know, as Ellen White said, don't get involved in the feminist movement during that time, which was solid advice, honestly, because... The feminist movement was going to radical extremes, and we didn't want our church to be known as that place where women wear pants, when no one else wore pants. It would have distracted from our mission at that time, and feminism was a pendulum swing where men had had all the power and chauvinism reigned. Now it was all women will have all the power and women will reign, but neither of these is imaging God well. It's men and women together image God from creation onward. And, and so Adventism, I think Ellen White was wise where she said, don't go join the feminist movement. I think it would have killed Adventism if we had been linked with feminism. But at the same time, Ellen White did say, let's take away some of the social restrictions, like the way women have to dress that's fabulously unhealthy for them and not wear all these heavy skirts, not wear these tight corsets, not have your dress dragging in the manure on the street. So she embraced some things about liberating women from toxic um, paradigms, but didn't really, you know, they were preaching the gospel. They didn't have time to take on some of the societal ills that now hinder us from preaching the gospel. We live in a world where if we don't assert the power of, of God's love for women, we will, we will damage our mission. And that doesn't mean that we join the feminist movement. We have to do what God calls us to do, which is to say men are made in the image of God, women are made in the image of God, and together we image God best in families that are built on self-sacrificing love. Now, let me ask you another question. Um, so people will say, okay, agree with everything you said. Um, but the fact remains that at the fall, God placed women under men. So that sort of, how shall I summarize this? You know, the kind of like Genesis 3, you know, <laughs> yes, uh, your yes. desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And, you know, so yeah, maybe before sin, God intended for it to be like this sort of egalitarian thing. But now post sin, it's, um, you know, it's a pretty straight up patriarchy. That's That's the way God decided it would be. And of course, people will quote Paul and things like that. Um, can get a bit can get a bit hairy there, but 
when it, I, I, I suppose what I'm, what I'm doing is, is sort of transitioning into the creation or, or the fall, rather, the fall. How yes. do we understand and wrestle with how that, the layers or the variables that that introduces into this conversation? Yes, great question. And we would be remiss if we didn't tackle this head on. Ellen White seems very clear in talking about how Adam and Eve originally were not in a patriarchal pecking order. Adam was not over Eve. Of course, there, there are those who will say, well, Adam was created first, then Eve. Paul points that out in order to show that Adam is higher than Eve. Um, Dr. Moscala pointed out to me that creation always went from lower to higher. So you didn't have the trees over the squirrels or, or the fish over the elephants. Creation went from lower to higher. That doesn't mean women are higher than men. Don't jump to that conclusion. <laughs> but until woman was created, man could not fully image God because mm. God is multiple beings united in one by love. And Adam and Eve together could unite in love through sexual union, through marriage, through self-sacrificing love. Until Adam had another like himself to love, he couldn't fulfill the law of God. God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Adam had no neighbor as himself to love until Eve was created. And I love how God made Adam first, showed him all the animals, said, hmm, Adam, what do you deduce here? Adam's like, this is funny. Every one of them has another one like themselves. And, and yet, um, where's my other half? And God smiles and says, I'm so glad you asked. I wanted you to see what it's like not to have her, but now I'm going to give her to you. He gives Adam Eve and Adam says, wow, here's somebody made like me. Now I can image God completely in a world where God, where Adam had a perfect world and a perfect relationship with God. He still said, there's something missing here, God. In other words, loving God isn't enough for humanity. We have to love our neighbors as ourselves in order to fulfill his law. What happens after Eden? It gets complicated here because Ellen White says, well, in Eden, Adam and Eve were equal. And I see that as, you know, they wake up in the morning and they're like, Adam's like, let's go to the waterfall and go swimming. And Eve says at the same time, let's go pick figs from the fig tree. And then they look at each other like, no, 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 we'll, we'll do what you want. And each of them says, let's do what you want. Let's do what you want. So in the end, they go grab some figs and then they go swim at the waterfall. You know, <laughs> they, they don't have a pecking order because there's no sin in the world. Nobody is ever going to get upset at each other. Eve never stomps off and gives Adam the silent treatment. It never would have occurred to her. And Adam, likewise, never would have said, Eve, I'm the head. We're doing it my way. And then Eve goes, okay, okay, we're doing it your way. There were no power struggles. That's mm. the thing. There were no power struggles. So there was no need for somebody to be in power over the other person. What happens at the fall then? At the fall, God says, all right, guys, I hate to tell, it, tell you this, but sin makes us misuse power. It's all about wanting to use power to exalt self. And because men have more power physically than women, they're going to exalt themselves and women are often going to be crushed down. So Adam, here's what you need to do. Love Eve the way I love you. So Adam then 
is supposed to use his power to serve. And the more power he has, the more obligated he is to use it to serve. The more power men in cultures had, the more they were to use that power to serve and protect women. Because men could be better at protecting. They've got bigger fists, right? So men were supposed to be in headship. And I don't have a problem with saying a man is the head of the home if that means the more power he has, the more obligated he is to serve everyone else in the family. Yeah. That makes total sense. And, and so God says to Adam, lead the way that I lead and marriage will be a blessing. If you don't lead the way that I lead, lead, then your power will become a curse, both to you, tempting you to sin and rationalize that it's fine and tempting your wife to not want to be close to you. Mm. So he, God says, Adam, you're going to be the head now which means you're most obligated to serve that that word head is used. The, it's the same word for source, like the source of a river. So Adam is the one who is supposed to be most responsible to reflect God's approach to power. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the most power. Most of the time, Adam, men are going to have more power than women. Most of the time, therefore men have the greatest obligation to be the source of self-sacrifice for their families, the ones who drink most deeply from the fountain of self-sacrificing love. And then as they use that power to sacrifice, their wives will be inspired to sacrifice too. They'll go, wow, my husband loves me so much. He's so thoughtful. I love how he does everything he can to make my life better. I'm going to do everything I can to make his life better too. And the children, as they watch their parents in this cycle of self-sacrificing love, will hop on board too. They'll imitate that braid of the Trinity where each one, when they have power, use it as an opportunity to serve. So that's, that's God's ideal. Even after the fall, he said, if you will still use your power the way I use power, your relationship will be a blessing. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, you know, that's such a paradigm shift, Nicole. It's such a paradigm shift because you're not sitting here as, as some, as some might do and say, oh no, you know, the whole idea of men being the head of the household is nonsense and, you know outdated. Yeah. You're saying, hey, look, actually, and you know, as I mentioned to this, I mentioned this before we even started recording it. I think this is one of the things I really appreciate about you is that um, you are what I refer to, you you are an enigma in the sense that <laughs> where do where do we put Nicole, right? Like, is, is, right. is Nicole conservative? <laughs> is Nicole liberal? We have no idea. She seems to be in a category <laughs> that transcends that spectrum altogether. And that's why I love I love talking to people that are enigmas. Um, and, and I love this because it's so thought-provoking. It's like, no, 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 like there is a head of the family, but we have to understand what rule over or what head means from God's economy, from his mindset, from his yeah. perspective. If we understand his character, if we understand how does God rule over, How is God the head? It's really interesting because even in the text itself in creation where it says that, you know, um, you know, that God made Eve the the, the help meet, right? Like he he made, Mm -hmm. you know, the the help meet for Adam. That very same Hebrew word for help meet is later on used to describe God himself in his relationship with his people. God himself is described as the help meet. So if we use help meet. Right, the Ezra Connect though. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we use the term help me to say, see, the woman is just supposed to be there to help, you know, under the man. It's like, well, are you going to say the same about God? Because he, the same exact word is used to describe him in relationship to us. He's our help. Yes. And, so, so, and everywhere we see this, this as their approach, you know, throughout scripture, whenever those words are even used, that as their, it, it, it's all about the one who has more power coming to help. That's right. It's God swooping in to use his power. So mm -hmm. the woman is not supposed to be the wimpy one who's the junior partner, the associate, you know, she's not the vice president. <laughs> she is the person coming alongside him to give him a different power that he could never have on his own. You know, we, we talk in theory about how, well, the woman is the one who changes everything because, you know, she's raising the children. Isn't that the most important position? Well, yes and no. Um, this is where when people are like, well, so are you a feminist? I'm like, well, <laughs> define feminist. <laughs> if, it, if it is, do you believe women are supposed to be over men? We've had enough of this. You know, the Hallmark cards that are all about how women are like, yeah, we're going to kill men, whatever. Come on. No, 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 no. That's so against the character of God. We don't react to men having power over women by then women having power over men. But if you say, are you a feminist in that you mean that women are equal image bearers of God, equally responsible to reflect his love? Oh, absolutely. We are responsible. This is where when we understand headship rightly, the headship of the home, for example, we don't have to scratch our heads when the husband dies or abandons the family. And we're like, well, now who's going to be the head of the home? Can a woman be the head of the home? Well, the person with the most power is the most obligated to serve. So, of course, she can lead family worships. She can, if her husband is not willing to follow the Lord, she can be the one who teaches her children about God's love. We don't have to be confused about this when we understand headship is just a position of servanthood. Yeah, that's it, man. You know, that's that's the most radical. Like, I can't wait until we get to the portion where we always talk about mission and, and the role of women in mission, because that paradigm right there, it changes everything. It changes everything, you know, and and it and it bypasses yeah. so much of the endless debate as well, in, in my opinion. I mean, look, obviously there's there's always going to be people who are so ideologically committed to their constructs that nothing you say is gonna, you know, they're always gonna find a little hook to wiggle out. But from my perspective, I feel I I sense that this fundamentally it bypasses so much of the arguing, so much of the debating, um, so much of like the giant papers that have been written and countless man hours that have been spent on the women's ordination debate. Um, it's for me, it's like when you go to the root and you 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 deal with this headship thing, a lot of that is like oh. Yeah, we don't have to spend a lot of time on that. Like that's, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that, that's we, can, we can we can we can pass that pretty quickly, you know, because this very concept here is kind of like what it's rooted in. Um, and so like this idea, yeah, dig out the root, and the whole plant wilts. You're done. Right. You Absolutely. don't have to keep on struggling with what about this application. You know, we just we just see how the love of God applies to real life. Yeah. Because essentially what we're doing is just like cutting leaves and then new ones grow and then we cut some more and then new ones grow and then you just keep cutting leaves and, yeah. and new ones grow. <laughs> you know, I, I had a conversation once with a couple of theologians, men, who 
I was close to, you know, these are my friends. And uh, the conversation shifted to women's ordination. And I said, well, I'm not really that passionate about women's ordination. What I really care about is headship theology. And these two guys looked at me and looked at each other and laughed. And one of them said, we know, we know what you're really passionate about, Nicole. It's women's ordination. And I was just like, <laughs> I give up. I give up. If I myself am not the authority on what I'm actually passionate about, oh, who is? <laughs> How do you argue with that? I'm just like, That's okay. Right. So as I typically did in those debates, I just check out. All right. Well, then we'll yeah. just talk about something else because there's no way I can explain to them that they're wrong in their decision of what I feel and believe. Mm. You know, if they believe they're the authorities on what I feel and believe, who am I to argue? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's there's this meme, um, this meme that goes around. It, it has like some like Indian guru, um, and and someone, a, a young man, asks him like, "What's the secret to a long life?" I don't know if you've seen that one. So young uh, man I don't asks know. the Indian. Yeah, so it's two pictures. You know, typical meme. Young man asks the guru, "What's the secret to a long life?" And the guru says, to not argue with fools. And the young man says, I disagree. And the guru says, yes, you are right. <laughs> it's just like, you know. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes you just got to know, like, you know, I just, uh, Ellen White talks about our life force, you know, the life energy that we have. And, you know, once you spent it, you kind of don't get it back. And I'm just like, I, I think, I'll, I think I'll pass on this particular fight, you know, <laughs> preserve my life. Yeah, that's right. Something else. But um, yeah, look, oh, this has been incredible. There's a, there's a few more areas that we, uh, that I want to uh, obviously walk through, and then we will bring this conversation down to this, uh, where, where I suppose where the, where, where, how do I phrase this? It's it's getting close to midnight here in Australia. So my brain is starting <laughs> yes. to shut down. We can talk another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll finish it. We, I think I think one more one more nice sit down and we'll, we'll have them all done. But essentially bringing the conversation down to the missiology and our responsibility in, in communicating and articulating the character of God to our world. Ellen White says that the last revelation to be given to this world is a revelation of God's character of love. Yes. And that's not just because we handed out great controversies. That's because we live it. No. We live. And man, let me tell you, there's a chapter here coming up somewhere. I got I to gotta flip to the right page. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about it next time where you talk about that, where you, you talk about the church and, and you talk about the people that God wants to, what he, the kind of humanity, the new way to be human, right? The kind of humanity that God wants to, wants to, I suppose, for lack of a better phrase, engineer in us and through us, this, these people who are like little, you know, like, like Christ. And I'm not talking perfectionism here and, and you weren't either, but you right. know, this, just this, this beautiful, articulation of his character reflected in his people and the way you the way you write about it's just like whoa and i'm like man that that's mission right there but the thing that i always say and i'll say this till i'm blue in the face is that all of our churches talk about mission all of our churches talk about reaching the world all of our churches talk about evangelism i don't know any adventist who will be like evangelism is wrong and mission's bad you know like we all believe and agree with mission and evangelism what we seldom right. what we seldom fail to do 
is analyze and scrutinize the patterns, habits, rhythms, and beliefs that we have become cozy with that fundamentally strangle our capacity to do that mission well. Uh, and so I can't thank right. you enough, Nicole, for taking the time to to have this conversation with us to talk about this headship theology thing. And you know, even if you, those of you listening, even if you've never heard the phrase headship theology, perhaps you've heard sermons that articulate God as a hierarchy, you know, as a, as a, as a power play. And perhaps you've heard people in church talk about the relationship between men and women as a power play. And you've seen it reflected in, you know, in, in, in the life of the church and in some of our traditions, you talked about, you know, how deaconesses, you know, do a little unfolding of the blanket, you know, during communion and only yeah. the men can break the bread, which, you know, personally, I think the entire scenario is awfully unbiblical, but that's another topic. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I think, whether you've heard that term or whether you've encountered this idea in depth or not, it depends perhaps on the region that you're in, but we've, we've seen it to one degree or another. And, and it's growing in its influence, especially with the women's ordination debate, people are sort of anchoring their positions in one side or the other. And people who are generally coming and saying, Oh, I'm not for women's ordination. There's a trend that they're anchoring themselves in headship theology, not exclusively, but certainly a, a big trend. And, and so we're going to see more of this and we're going to see it inundate our church and we're going to hear a lot more yeah. about it. Um, and it's certainly something that we have to confront. We have to contend. We have to deconstruct really fundamentally. We have to just toss it out. <laughs> yeah. And this is the terrible thing that headship theology actually, I think in many ways prevails on both ends of the spectrum of the approach to women's ordination. So when people are like, so are you in favor of women's ordination or against? Again, it's kind of an, it depends on what you mean. Um, I think the way we ordain is mostly um, a tradition now anyway, but the problem is we're polarizing because each side is in one way or another, at least on the extremes, it's trying to say, I'm good, you're bad, I'm better than you are, my side is better than your side, my theology is better than your theology, and I'm willing to fight you over it. Now, most of the loudest voices are on the extreme ends of the spectrum theologically regarding this but i think god is calling us all to come together if we could get rid of the deep-rooted idea of self-exaltation like the moment i hear somebody debating i'm like oh yeah i can dive into this i've studied it i can crush your arguments with my superior ones <laughs> we're we're doing the same thing with power that satan did and continues to do within the church so the answer is let's come together Let's come to common ground where we see humility and faith as the answers. And when we can come together and pray and in humble love, look for ways that we can come together on common ground, I think we could find half a dozen different ways to handle the women's ordination debate itself. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are lots of different approaches that would be in harmony with scripture. But the mm. problem is our desire to exalt ourselves by crushing the other one down, which is entirely okay. against the of God. Um, I've, I've tried, you know, I, I love to write. That's more of what I do than speaking. So I'm working on writing out um, kind of a story-based approach to understanding the wrong of headship theology, along with several other things in the My Tales of the Exodus series. And the paper that I wrote is the foundation for a lot of that. Um, but just there's so many great resources that are just surfacing now. You know, Ty Gibson's two books, 
um, on the Trinity have become really helpful. They weren't there when I wrote what I was writing out, just hashing it out between God and me. Um, also, The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And some other resources that are coming out are really showing us that the approaches that we've taken to Paul and to the way that women were treated in scripture and even in medieval times and all that, we've gotten so many things wrong. And when we align with scripture and we look at history for what it really shows us, everything changes and we can see God's character more clearly revealed in the way that he actually says to treat women than we ever did by the ways we were told that God said to treat women. Absolutely. I love it, man. I love it. What we're going to do uh, before we wrap the whole series up is we'll have a few minutes where I'll just have you kind of like lay out some some resources. And what I'll do is I'll get you to message favorite books, articles, et cetera, to me as well. So I can yeah. link them all. Great idea. There's some incredible, really incredible stuff out there. I just want to make a few closing um, comments uh, on the on the idea of self-exaltation and humility. Uh, you're absolutely right on that. You know, Alfred Leroy Moore is who you cited earlier, has been one of the most influential mm -hmm. thinkers in my spiritual and theological development. Never met the guy um, personally, but have read his books. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he's He's passed away by now. I'm not. I'm not entirely yeah, sure if, if that's the yes. case. Okay. I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, I started saying that, and I was like, oh no, am I gonna have to edit this out? Because I don't like want to, you know, like put a guy <laughs> in the grave before his time. But yeah, he has passed away by now. But absolutely incredible human being, um, who just oozed humility, and um, just mm -hmm. a beautiful human being. And one of the things that I really took away, I, I a lot of lessons from Alfred Leroy Moore. If you could read any of his books, it's such a treat. But um, one of the things I took away from him is that division never happens because we disagree. It happens because of how we disagree. And yes. if, if we if we are, you know, if we can have a disagreement in the spirit of Christ like servanthood for one another, we, we won't see division. It's, it's when we have disagreements in a spirit of, you know, who's going to who's going to win this fight, who's going to come out at the top. That's where the division yeah. takes place. Um, and I learned that lesson really, really deeply re lately, because one of the things that I am fundamentally allergic to is conspiracy theories. I'm allergic to them. Oh, yes. I can't stand them. <laughs> they drive me up the wall. Um, and especially when I hear them in church, like I just feel the old man and me wanting to come out and, you know, <laughs> start, <Yes. laughs> start doing like, you know, some military level hand-to-hand -hand combat but um but this last year i baptized a guy who's uh he he comes from a bikey background very secular guy giant i mean he's so big when i hug him i have to go on my tippy toes and he's <laughs> massive giant of a man um and yeah he comes from a background of drugs and bike gangs and all that kind of stuff and crime um but baptized, studied the Bible with him, baptized him. And I'm still, I still go over his house. You know, I've been on holidays, so I haven't seen him in over a month, but I usually go to his house every other week, every, every two, three weeks. And we just spend an hour or two just chatting. And the interesting thing is this guy loves conspiracy theories, Nicole. I mean, like a lot of these ex-cons, mm -hmm. like that's their thing. They don't trust anything. They don't trust any institution, <laughs> any establishment. 
And he'll sit there and he'll start talking about some video he watched on YouTube and this guy's theory and COVID this and that. I mean, you know, Bill Gates, you know, Jeff Bezos, the whole nine yards, you name it. Yes, yes. But we're really, really good friends. And I was actually stopped and thought about, like, I wonder why that's the case. Like, why do people drive me up the wall with it? But in this particular scenario, I find that I have a really good friendship with him. And what I realized was that in our relationship, he holds judgment-free space for me. And I hold Mm -hmm. judgment-free space for him. So he'll tell me some conspiracy theory he believes in. And then he'll say, oh, I, I know you don't buy it, but you know, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. And you know, we, we laugh about it and we talk about it and we humor mm-hmm. each other and then we hug and we walk on, you know, like it's, it's, he doesn't judge me and think less of me because I don't see the way he sees it. And he said to me, he's like, you know, I'm trying to process these things and I have ADD and, you know, of course he's done a lot of drugs. So, you know, his good thinking capacity yeah. has taken a hit, but He's like, you know, I'm just doing my best to try and understand stuff. And, you know, I, you know, he appreciates me and I appreciate. And so I realized like, I've actually struck a friendship with the, with someone who does the one thing I'm very allergic to. And the only differentiating factor is there's judgment free space when we meet. And I realized like, I can actually get along with anyone, no matter what they believe. The key is, do we hold judgment free space for each other? The moment yeah. in this women's ordination debate or, you know, this conversation, the moment someone looks at someone who's pro-women's ordination as a heretic, as an agent of Satan, as a, you know, you know, bringing in, you know, third wave feminism and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff and, you know, Babylon and apostasy, the moment you put those labels on people, and, and they do the same vice versa. Oh, you know, you're just a, you know, woman hating, mm-hmm. you know, um, patriarchal, right. you know, like, and the moment we pu- put those labels on each other, there's no longer a judgment-free space for us to meet in love and understanding. And so the conversation can no longer really happen. And the only thing that's left is division. Yeah. That's, that's all that you're really left with, you know, and, and, and so I agree with you. I think if on both sides of the equation, we can let go of the desire to win the fight and to hold judgment free yeah. space for each other and listen to each other, there's probably a thousand different ways that we can move forward that we're not seeing. Yeah, in that's current so, scenario. so true. Because yeah. if I love somebody enough, I can disagree with them respectfully. Mm. Um, early in the Adventist movement, they would spend whole nights up agonizing in prayer, studying, trying to hammer out theological issues. And God wouldn't tell them just through Ellen White, you know, they would have to wrestle and grapple and think and, and then come to a theological conclusion and then would have a you know, spirit-filled revelation later on, confirming that they had come to the right thing. But I think God's goal there was for them to journey through disagreement, one seeing things one way, one seeing things another way, without selfishness rising up. The moment that I transitioned from, I, I want to serve, I want to learn, I want to understand more of what God is saying to me. And I can do that through talking with you and seeing through your different perspective because you see a different angle than I do the moment I transition from that mentality to oh now you're wrong I'm going to show how I'm right I'm superior to you my theology is superior I've got this you know when our eyes light up with 
I'm going to show how much smarter I am than you. In one way or another, we have left the Lord's army and we've started in on Satan's side. No matter whether we're right or wrong intellectually, when we stop trying to serve and we start trying to exalt ourselves by crushing the other one down, we have stopped fighting on God's side. And that should sober every single one of us, no matter where we stand theologically on issues like women's rights, feminism, ordination, any of that. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here. Once again, just a big thank you to you guys for uh, tuning in and checking out this next episode of Saying No to Headship Theology. In the upcoming episodes, Nicole and I are going to continue to dig deeper into this topic and explore more questions relevant to it. But I also wanted to say, in case you didn't know, you can send your questions in because we're going to record one more episode at the very end, our question and answer episode. So if you have any questions uh, related to this series, any stories you want to share, any feedback you want to share with us, uh, feel free to communicate with us. You can do that uh, through Facebook. You can send me messages on Facebook with questions on Instagram as well. And uh, on my website, thestorychurchproject.com, you can find all my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter links on there. And you can also send a message through that website. Uh, and, and same with Nicole. If you go to thestorychurchproject.com slash podcast uh, and you see at the very top of the page the Saying No to Headship Theology series that we're currently on, there's a button underneath it that says Season 6 I think it's season six, uh, season six resources. You click on that and it will take you to the page that has all of the information that pertains to this season. It's got all the latest episodes, uh, the recommended resources, and there is a link at the bottom as well um, with uh, Nicole's uh, social media presence and you can you can send her messages as well so if you have any questions that you want us to explore or anything that you want us to clarify in that final episode we've already gotten a few really good questions and uh, it'd be really great to have a few more so that we can take the time to answer them as best as possible now with that said as you guys already know it's not 100 possible to like unpack everything in a podcast series because there's just too much to unpack so if you have many many more questions on that same page that link that i told you about uh, you can find their resources under the resources tab there are books there is the paper that nicole parker wrote as well which is kind of like the backbone of this entire series titled the lowest place uh, you can download that there for free there's books that are linked to on amazon that you can go ahead and purchase and uh and and, and read with lots more content lots more detail lots more research than we could possibly reproduce in a podcast series. So if you guys still have questions and there are still things you're not understanding, feel free to send those questions in. But at the end of it all, remember, we can only do so much on this series. Get your hands on those resources. Now that resource tab is updated every week, all right? Every week I'm putting new stuff on there. So feel free to keep coming back as the series progresses. Keep going back to that same resource link clicking the link because there's going to be new stuff on there week by week. This week, there's some new things on there. And also, if you scroll down to Nicole's section uh, where it's got these the meet Nicole and, you know, check out her books and, and her sermons. Uh, there's some links there where you can click and listen to lots of different sermons that she's preached. Incredible, incredible stuff, you guys, especially those of you who have had to uh, navigate the the difficult 
valleys of spiritual abuse and just abuse in general and uh, recovery from that man nicole has some incredible sermons i've sent some of these sermons to people uh, throughout my pastoral um, journey that are really struggling with that with that type of um, uh, background and, and and struggling to heal i've sent them some of nicole's messages and they've been really instrumental uh, i've seen people's lives transformed by these all right so make sure you check out those sermons if if that's something that you need and also there's a whole series of books that nicole is writing they're four kids but they're absolutely incredible it's called the tales of the exodus series and you will find links for it as well there we talked a little bit about it in this last episode and we'll We'll talk about it some more in upcoming episodes. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. I'll catch you next week. We're going to dig deeper and explore more. Until then, take care and God bless. Mm-hmm.